I know it's darker than usual this morning, and I've asked it to be that way, and you'll see why in a moment. Uh, We're in a series called First. If you're visiting, we hope you'll be encouraged as we're studying what the Bible says about the whole business of priority and allegiance. We've seen that Christ, Scripture says, is first, whether we put him there or not. He is first. He doesn't need our permission to be first. He needs our acknowledgement. And then we talked about how we put Christ first by placing him ahead of secondary allegiances. And now we want to consider today how churches help this process along. I want to begin with one of my favorite stories one of our grandmothers told me about two years ago. Her grandson at then was six years old and he was at supper with his parents. And as they shared their meal, he noticed they were each having a beer. Well, he said to them, I don't think you should be drinking beer. I heard that beer can kill you. They responded, well, did you not know that Jesus turned water into wine? To which he quickly replied, yeah, and he died when he was 33, didn't he? (laughs) I think there's a good reason many people may not want to be like Jesus. And the simple reason is it could lead to an early death. That's why, as I suggested last week, one of the problems in contemporary Christianity is that we're teaching people how to accept Jesus without ever really deciding to follow Him. That contemporary Christianity has created a culture where it's possible to be considered Christian without becoming a Christ follower. And I think this is allowed because many churches are not putting first things First, And so I want you to think with me. What is a church's first priority? I've thought a lot about that and I think over the years my answer has changed. What is a church's first priority? Some of you are thinking, well, to seek and to save the lost. Others are saying, no, to preserve doctrinal purity. And others will say social justice and helping the poor. All good answers, but not the first priority. I believe the church's first priority is to look like Jesus. That in a world full of darkness, the mission of the church is to reflect the image and the glory of Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I'm the light of the world And if you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And this metaphor is referred to Jesus throughout Scripture, that the light has come into the world and this light is the life of men. Now, if you're a Jewish audience and you hear that word light, you go immediately back to Genesis 1. Because the very first thing God recorded saying was, let there be light. That through light, God was going to bring into existence this creation that he cherished and loved. And now if Jesus is the light come into the world, he is saying that through me now, God is going to renew and he's going to restore his creation. He's going to undo everything that sin corrupted. Paul picks up on this in 2 Corinthians 4 and in verse 6. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made us understand that this light 
is the brightness of the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. I believe the church's first priority is to reveal the glory of God that's being manifested in Jesus Christ. That God has sent Jesus into the world to announce that things are not going to stay the way they are. That darkness is not the creation's destiny. He's doing something in Jesus. And our job is to let the darkness know this. Now here's the thing. We do not do this primarily by disseminating information about the light. We do it primarily by demonstrating transformation. In other words, we allow His light to shine through our lives as we increasingly reflect His image. And so the Bible says, for example, in 2 Corinthians 3, as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. Ephesians 5.8 says, For though your hearts were once full of darkness, now you are full of light from the Lord, and your behavior should show it. Our lives should be testimony to the world that God is renewing, that He has sent light manifested through Jesus Christ. Now here's the problem. I don't think most churches have made this their priority. I don't think most churches expect radical transformation into the image of Jesus. Here's what we expect, attendance. Preferably on time, but at least at some point in the service, try to get here. (laughs) Doctrinal orthodoxy and avoidance of scandal. If you'll come to church service... Believe the right things and don't commit any ugly sin that would get you in the paper. You're a member in good standing of most churches. And this is why we have Christians who have been following Christ supposedly for 20, 30, 50 years. And they're still bigots. They still use foul language. They still have terrible tempers. They're still greedy and hoard their money. Because we don't expect radical Life change into the image of Christ. Listen, the goal has got to stop being to get people to come to church. And it has got to start being to help people become more like Jesus Christ. And two things I think about this radical change have got to be noted. One is that it's impossible apart from the Spirit. You can't grit your teeth And try hard enough to look like Jesus. This is an inside-out work of God through the Spirit. And secondly, it's a process. It doesn't happen right away. The Bible says, as the Spirit works on us, more and more we look like Jesus. Some of you that are older remember a popular comedian from years ago. His name was Yakov Smirnov. He came to America out from under Russia when it was under communist rule. And his bit was to talk about what an amazing country America was. He couldn't get over how different it was from life under the communist in Russia. He said, for example, he went for the first time to a grocery store in America. He couldn't get over all the instant products. He said he saw powdered milk. Just add water. 
you get milk. He saw powdered orange juice. Just add water, you get orange juice. Then he saw baby powder. And he thought, what a country. (laughs) Now, when people come to Christ and they get baptized, listen, going into the water doesn't immediately prove... Do someone that looks just like Jesus. It simply starts the journey. And this process of transformation is aided by certain disciplines and commitments that I believe provide the context for the Holy Spirit's work. Now, please hear me say again, you cannot look more like Jesus unless you let the Holy Spirit work on you. But I do believe there are certain commitments and disciplines that churches make that provide the context for the Holy Spirit to be most effective. And that's why churches need missions. And we've told you before, here's our mission. Here's our strategy to help. Our mission is to grow followers of Jesus through worship and community and service. That's our strategy. Now, please realize the strategy is not the goal. You can come to worship, be in a small group and serve somebody and still be a jerk. The strategy is not the goal. The strategy is the means to the goal. We believe when people worship, serve, and do it together, that they provide the context for the Holy Spirit to begin to change their lives. And we make these our first things first expectations because we think the first Christians did. I want you now to read with me. What we know about the very first church. And as you see what their priorities were. I think you're going to see our strategy is on target. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Did you notice the priorities of the very first Christians? First was to preach and to praise Christ. These first Christians, they gathered in settings large and small. They gathered often, almost every day. And they gathered to focus on Jesus. They would get together to hear His words because devotion to the apostles' teaching was devotion to the words of Jesus because that's what the apostles knew. They gathered to remember His death and resurrection as they would break bread together every day. They gathered to sing the Messianic Psalms and to praise God for sending the light into the world. And in the process of doing this, they're being shaped by the Spirit. Because here's the thing, worship is formative. You are shaped by whatever you worship. Now it could be God or it could be the cowboys. It could be money or it could be sex. But whatever you're worshiping is shaping you. You see, when we come together and remember Christ's rightful place, somehow we remember ours. 
And the Holy Spirit does His work. You've had those times where you came to a worship gathering. And you were carrying a big burden. And the Holy Spirit began to comfort you. You've had those times when your life wasn't lined up with God's will. And the Holy Spirit began to convict you. That's what happens. The Holy Spirit begins to conform us into the image of Christ as we center our hearts and our minds on Him. Notice how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 2. For I decided to concentrate only on Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. And I came to you in weakness, tired and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. I didn't use wise and persuasive speeches. But the Holy Spirit was powerful among you. It's a mystery I don't completely understand. But Jesus says, when two or three gather in my name, I'm there. And when you're focused on me. The Holy Spirit is powerful to begin to shape us to be more like Jesus. Now, that's why I so disagree with many today who say churches need to tone down worship if they want to reach lost people. We need to stop singing hymns. We need to stop praying prayers. I don't think you reach lost people by toning down worship. I think you need to ramp it up. Now, I do believe worship needs to be culturally relevant, but I'm telling you, when you come to this church, you need to be hit between the eyes with the image and the glory of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I find life in the darkness to be hard. I feel more and more in this country like I'm swimming upstream in a downstream world. I remember years ago, They told a story up in Alaska about these three great whales that got trapped under a big sheet of ice. And they found them because there was this little hole that they were putting their noses through to try to breathe. And they were getting bloodied and bruised. And the only way to save the whales was to get them five miles away under the ice floe into open sea. And what they tried was every so many yards they would cut a new hole in the ice and try to coax the whales to that place to breathe. It took several days, and in the process, one of the whales disappeared and evidently died. But two of them finally made it to sea because they kept moving and breathing, moving and breathing. That's how I survive in the darkness. I need those regular times of coming together with other believers and praising God. It is my spiritual breath. If worship gatherings weren't important... For the development of Christ followers. Why is Satan in every country in the world where he can trying to outlaw them? I hear people say, well, I just don't like organized religion. I'm just going to do my thing in the closet. I think you need your time in the closet. But if all you ever do is stay in your closet, you're not becoming more like Jesus. Because that's the other thing that we notice about the first Christians. It was a priority to them to preach and praise Christ and to do kingdom life together. The first Christians knew nothing of a just me and Jesus mentality. Let me explain the statement I made last week. I implied that I have a problem with the phrase, just accept Christ as your personal Savior. Well, I want everyone to do that, yes. But do you realize that phrase is not in our Bible? It didn't show up until the 1800s in the revivals of Dwight L. Moody. And while I want all of us to have Christ as our personal Savior, the problem in our individualized culture is that we've created a group of Christians who think all I need is Jesus. 
When the fact of the matter is, no Christian in the first century ever saw Jesus as just their personal Savior. That Christianity is relational. It happens between people. And when you got saved, God added you to a number of other Christians. That's why it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to breaking of bread. And it says, and they were devoted to fellowship. Community was a non-negotiable for the first Christians. They discipled in community because that's how they saw Jesus do it. You can't read your Gospels and find one time where Jesus ever went up to one person and said, Hey, just you and me, buddy. Personal discipleship lessons, just you and me. We're going to do this alone. Jesus discipled and called people to do kingdom life together. If you try to do it alone, it leads to stagnation, it leads to drift, and most of all, it leads to faking it. If this is the only time you do life with other Christians, and the rest of the week you're on your own, you're going to learn how to fake it when you get here. It's like the story I've always enjoyed of the little boy who did not know that while he was playing in the backyard, that the preacher had come to visit the family. So the preacher's in the living room talking to his mother when he comes in holding a dead rat. He ran in the house, Mama, Mama, look, I killed a rat. I found him in the back and I saw it and I took a bat and I smashed him. And then I took my boot and I stepped on him. And then I took some rocks and I crushed him. And then he saw the preacher and said, And the dear Lord called him home. And we learn how to put on our Christian look if the only time we do life with other Christians is this moment. Life change requires more than just believing. It requires belonging. I don't know if you saw recently a study by Nicholas Christakis. He's a professor of medical sociology at Harvard University. And he said, here's what our research has concluded. If people want to make profound life change, if they want to quit smoking, if they want to lose weight, if they want to just be happier, they have to do it with a large number of other people. You know what he cited as proof? The TV show Biggest Loser. Now, he's absolutely right. The thing is, 2,000 years ago, a real wise rabbi was already saying the same thing. You're saying, well, I'm just not naturally a people person. Well, listen, this kind of relational investing that produces people that look like Jesus, it doesn't require natural ability. It requires supernatural empowering. Remember, none of this happens without the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says, Romans 5, verse 5, God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Church is not a place you go to. It's a people you belong with. And Jesus is uniquely present when we get together. Using 
each of us to help the other shine a little brighter. We're here for each other. To do kingdom life together. In fact, the Bible says, don't forsake assembling together. And right next to it is this verse, Hebrews 10, 24. Think of ways to encourage one another to outburst of love and good deeds. Because, you see, the church's third priority in the book of Acts was this. To bless people with needs. They were committed to worship and community and service. They understood that discipleship is more than just the absence of badness. Too many churches give you the impression to be a Christian means you stop doing a lot of dark, ugly stuff. But they understood discipleship is more than just the absence of badness. It's the presence of active goodness. And the first Christians were known for what they were for more than what they were against. And by the way, so was Jesus. And so are all the people who want to look like Him. I believe authentic life change and real transformation is impossible without service. You cannot become like Christ and live a self-absorbed life. There's a village in Spain called Segovia. And outside this village is an aqueduct still stands built by the Romans in 109 A.D. And for 1,800 years, this archaeological marvel has brought water out of the mountains down to that town. For 60 generations, it served that town. And then last century, some folks came along and said, Man, we need to preserve this marvel as a museum piece for our kids. So they cut off the water. They put pipes in to bring the water. And guess what happened? The sun began to bake the now dry mortar. The bricks began to crumble. The support began to sag. And the aqueduct began to fall. Because it wasn't made to be admired. It was made to be used. So are Christians. I've told you before the story that still haunts me. A pastor visited Mozambique a couple of years ago in the midst of a terrible, terrible famine and drought there. And many people that were starving and totally destitute were gathered into refugee camps, including a pastor that he met with about 20 or 30 members that were left of his little church. They had absolutely nothing. And that pastor said to the visiting American a question that still haunts me. If you are no longer able to help the needy, are you still a church? And if you are not serving anybody, are you really a Christian? Servant is the job description of every Christ follower. And again, the Spirit equips every Christ follower to do His job. He gives us gifts so we can serve each other. 1 Peter 4.11 says, Anyone who serves should serve with the strength God gives. So that, notice, in everything, 
God will be praised through Jesus Christ. You see, God is praised and Christ is revealed when we meet needs. It's interesting that the writer says in Acts 2, here's this group. They're gathering to worship and they're doing life together and they're meeting the needs of people. And it says those that were in the darkness was looking at this. And you know what it says? It says they had favor. That's a beautiful word. People in darkness looked on the church and they had favor in their eyes. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That's why we want to look like Jesus. That's why we ask you to worship. That's why we ask you to get together in community. That's why we ask you to serve. That's why we ask you to go look for that person at the gate. And I hope you've been inspired by the stories of of members of this church just finding people in this city to bless. Remember several weeks ago, Andy Fambro talked about being at a restaurant and there was this uh, woman just uh, uh, desperate and despondent and he found out that her husband was using drugs and she had had to move out and take her baby and so their small group took on this young woman began to help her pay for child care they went last week and helped her find a used car so that she can get to work and in the process of continuing to bless her they discovered that she had moved in with another man needing a place to stay so they began to talk about God's Vision for marriage. They went and talked to her husband. And they both agreed, we, we, we want to do things the right way. So they got a pickup. And when this guy she was living with was at work, they drove over there and got all her stuff and put it in the pickup. Took it back to the husband's house. And she's now moved back in with him. And they've agreed they're going to go to Christian counseling together to help their marriage. And he's going to get Christian counseling to help him with his addiction problems. And here's a family that just a few weeks ago was living in darkness. And now they are open to walking toward the light. Why? Because some people in this church didn't put their light under a basket. I believe today our witness must first be seen and then heard. Or to put it another way, before they first see who we love... They must love what they see. People living in darkness aren't going to read our tracks. They're not going to watch our TV shows. But they do notice people that live and love like those Christians in Acts 2. And they will see who we love when they love what they see. And that's why I want you to let me go on a rant for just a moment. I am tired of whining Christians saying, they won't let us put up our Ten Commandments on the wall. They won't let us have our nativity scene. They won't let us put Christ on display. There's nothing they can do to keep us from putting Christ on display. 
Every time we walk out the door, we have the choice to put Christ on display. They can kill us, but they can't stop us from giving testimony that the light has come into the world. Christians today need to stop cursing the darkness. We need to start turning on the lights. People ask me, where does your church meet? Well, what do you mean? My church meets in business offices and hospitals. My church meets in ball fields and schoolrooms. And in neighborhoods and in wise. My church meets all over Tarrant County, showing people that the light has come. It's true, though, once a week we gather in this room to encourage each other and to lift up Christ and to refresh and recharge our batteries. But our church isn't a place we go to. It's a people we belong with all over the city of Fort Worth. And God has given us the challenge to go and turn on the light. First things first. I'd like you to stand with me, please. And we're going to sing a song that just asks God to help us let people see Jesus in us. And while we sing this song, if you would like to be baptized into Jesus, please just come down to the front as we worship Christ together.